Today's message is week 8 in the series, Return of the King, in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Pastor Greg McCormick is preaching and has entitled this message, Abounding Love, which covers 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-12. through 12. Our worship pastor, Lee Hudson, will read. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Amen. Let me take your seats. How many of you love Jesus? You know, I, I like that response. You know, there's some spontaneous hooping and hollering, some claps. But, you know, how many of you really, really love Jesus? Let me hear you. Yeah, I, I, I feel that way, too. I love me some Jesus, man, I'm telling you. Well, for those of you who are here for the first time, maybe, um, I'm looking around to see if there are any first-time visitors. My name is Greg McCormick. I'm the pastor here at Change Point Northeast. I want to welcome you here. Glad you've joined us today. For those of you who are listening via podcast, we're glad that you're joining us too as well. And uh, I hope that I have the opportunity to meet you. For those of you I haven't personally met, I would love to have the opportunity to meet you after the service. How many of you brought your Bibles with you today? Excellent, because you're going to need them. There will be passages that will not be on the screen. I'm going to ask you to turn with me and follow me there. I've, we're in a series where we're journeying through the book of First Thessalonians. We've titled the series, Return of the King. And, and it's all about living our lives every day as if Jesus Christ is coming back today. Living our lives Every single day as if Jesus is coming back today because I don't know if this is sunk in with you yet, but this world is not our home. And one day, as the old folks used to say, in that great getting up morning, Jesus is coming back for us, his people. Now, how do you feel about that? Yeah, me too. Me too. I took for a title today, Abounding Love. Abounding Love. When I think of the word abounding, which by the way, abounding means, it means teeming, it means brimming, it means overflowing, bubbling to capacity, just kind of oozing over. That's, abounding is like more than enough, all right? When I think of the word abounding, I can't help but to think about some of the trips that I've taken across Alaska, you know, and, and, and end up in a boat wherein you're in a remote area, and you get to this spot where the water just looks like it's boiling with fish. And, and you just see the fish in the water, and you see the bubbles coming up, you know, in the distance. And every now and then you see one of those just jump up like that and just start playing in the air. And it's just overflowing and, and just, just brimming, just teeming with fish. God wants us to experience his love in a way that we cannot corral it, that it just abounds, that it overflows, that it, it brims, it just, it just, it just, it just, just 
goes beyond anything that we have the capacity to maintain. And he wants it to spill out from our lives into the lives of others. Experiencing God's abounding love in that way will shape how we live our lives. And it will be expressed by the way that we allow the Lord to live in us and then through us. I want to use a shape this morning that I think is, will define a three-ray relationship of abounding love that God wants us to experience. I'm going to use the triangle. Because when it comes to relationship, there's a three-dimensional relationship that God wants us to experience. When it comes to God's love, the first relationship, the primary relationship, is the private relationship that we have with our Father. It's the up relationship. It's at the top of the triangle where it's me and God alone. And then God wants that relationship of love to extend out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We call that the in relationship. It's those within the body of Christ that we share the same spirit and we, and we live in community and family with each other. And then it's through that overflowing relationship, that personal and private relationship, that God wants to, to use us as vessels that he can, he can work through to get the gospel and to get his abounding love to places that otherwise don't get it. Abounding love. Back in October of this year, I've been praying for months about bringing a team of guys together where we could just do life together. And so the Lord allowed me to pick out 11 guys, and I brought these 11 guys together, and I told them the purpose for us getting together is to, is to come together in relationship, to get to know each other, but, but even more important, to, to get to, to, to grow together in our character and our competencies of, of living godly lives of being godly examples, learning what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ and doing that together in the context of a group of men learning how to share their life together. And I recall about three weeks ago, because I told the guys, I said, listen, what's going to happen when we do this, guys, is, is God's going to take you and he's going to put you in this group and your love for each other is going to grow. You're going to get close. I recall one of the guys told me about three weeks ago, he said, Pastor Greg, he said, um, I'll tell you, when you first told me that I'd be in a group of 11 guys and that I would grow to love these guys in, in the context of community, I said, man, ain't going to happen. But as, he said, but as a first evening as I sat down and I looked around the room at these other guys and I'm like, man, you know, all these guys are coming from all these different walks of life. And I looked around the room and I said, <laughs> really, nah, now, that is not going to happen. But then he told me the other day, he said, but that's changed in me. And it's worked itself from a personal relationship with God that we've been taught to have for ourselves, how to hear from God in our private time, to an intimate spot with these men where in our end spot together, as we're learning how to do life together as followers of Jesus Christ, we're starting to grow in relationship as brothers. And now that thing is starting to work itself out to lives outside the body of Christ. So last Wednesday evening, this group of men 
and I went down to the rescue mission. And every week since October, we've met, and, and in our time together, we worship together, we break bread together, we study scripture together, we grow in our character and our competencies, and, and, we, and, we, and we grow in, in a sense of brotherly love and brotherly union in that small group. And now, last week, we're down at the rescue mission. We're doing mission work, and we're back there behind the scenes, and we're just laughing and having a good time, and the meal comes, and we sit down, and we break bread together. And then we pray together. And then we step out into the chapel at the rescue mission. And there's, there's probably 35 to 45 people sitting out there in that chapel in the rescue mission. We went there with the sole intent of being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and the expression of his abounding love. So three of the guys step up to the platform, um, Jose and, and, and Eric and Dennis, and they're leading worship and it's rich. And we're all worshiping with everybody sitting in the room. Watch this now. One of the guys that I've never met before leans over to me. And he got kind of uncomfortably close because I didn't know him, right? He leans over to me and he says, he says to me, unprompted, I can tell you guys genuinely love each other. Where are you from? See, what happened is, is that love that we shared in our up relationship and our in relationship began to work its way out to the things that we touch in the environments that God has called us to reach. That's, it's that kind of expression of love that Paul is writing about today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We ended up at verse 8 last week, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, and we're going to talk about God's abounding love. And Paul starts off this way. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And here's what Paul, I, want, I don't want you to miss this. Paul doesn't say, when it comes to the love of God, we have no need to write to you. He says, when it comes to the love of God and how it's expressed in your life to each other, he says, you have no need that we say anything to you. Why? Because it is obvious to us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that you have been experiencing God for yourself in your private time. And here's what he says. He says, for you have been taught by God to love one another. God taught you. And it had to come from your private relationship with him. And so the first key, family, to experiencing God's abounding love for us in relationship, the thing that we need to understand, when it comes to his abounding love, when we push into it, it moves us deeper into relationship with our Father. The more we, we press into that, 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 that intimate space with him, where we're learning what it means to hear from him and be with him without having to worry about any kind of performance or doing just being who we are in his presence. The more we press into doing that, the more evident it will become to those around us. 
And so the first, the first most essential part of experiencing God's abounding love is pressing into personal, private relationship with him. It'll affect how we live our lives. So Paul says, listen, he says, it's evident that you've been spending time alone with God in your up relationship. How, how do we know this? He says, because the second way we know is it manifests in, in our love for our family in the end. Look what he says, verse 10. He says, we know that you've been taught by God to love one another, for indeed that is what you are doing all, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Listen, he says, that's what you are doing. He says, your being with him now is being expressed in your doing. He says, you're, you're learning how to be with him, and from the being, it flows into your doing. And it's obvious that it's from God because you're mirroring the same kind of love that his has been displayed in us, and now you're imitating it. He says, listen, and it doesn't just stop here with what's going on here. It's not just confined to Thessalonica or to Berea or even to Philippi in the neighboring areas. He said, it's gone forth beyond that all the way into Macedonia and to Achaia. Hmm. How many of you know that's how God wants us to experience his abounding love? I love what Paul says as he's defining what that love looks like and how infectious it is. If you, drop, if you go back to chapter 1, and, uh, and let's go down to verse, um, let's just start with verse 6 in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Are you there? Paul talking to the church now, he says, For you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers, watch this, in Macedonia and in Achaia. Now, here's the point. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves are report concerning what kind of reception we had with you. Listen, here's what he's saying. It is evident that your relationship with God is producing something in your in, your up that is working its way out in the end, and everyone around you is being affected by it. Hmm. So Paul says, listen, I want to encourage. I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And then he says this. He says, and there are four expressions of this abounding love that I really want you to tap into and pay attention to. Because it's going to cause the love to grow exponentially. The first thing he says, he says, do it more and more. He says, he says, don't just limit it to what you've been doing. Find ways to, to express this love in, 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 those, uh, in, in your circles within the church. Do it more and more and more. I love looking at couples and watching couples that have been married longer than me. I've been married 32 years. Is that right, baby? 
I've been married 33 years. Listen, after 30, you have the right to quit counting, right? No, I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean that. But I'm around some older couples, man, that have been married in their 50s. And it's amazing to me to, to hear the guy say, hey, man, you know what? Uh, man, I just celebrated my 52nd birthday. I said, what'd you do? He said, man, I did something we never did before. I said, really? After like 50 plus years? And you, yeah. I did. It was great. It led to worship. Y'all that was here, you caught that from last week. And the point is, you know, more and more and more seeking ways to express our love to each other more and more within the context of godly family relationships. And Paul says, listen, he says, I want you to do it more and more. Find ways, seek ways, ask God for ways. And then he says this. Second expression is to aspire to live quietly. I believe God, I believe that God wants us to experience a life with him that it doesn't matter where you're at or where you go, people will know that you've been spending time with him. When Paul talks about aspiring to be quiet, I think there's two motives in mind. First, personal. He's like, hey, continue spending your time alone with God in your quiet time. Continue to do that. King James says, study to be quiet. Carve out that time. But then there's another side to that that Paul is talking about when he, he speaks to the entire church. He's saying, listen, he says, avoid needless attention as the church. Live your life in a way where you're not, where you're not calling attention to yourself needlessly. As a church, learn what it means to, to live your life by the gospel and live it that way and let the gospel speak for itself. I, I don't see anything wrong with a church that, that, that stands in the gap preaching the gospel and holding true to the gospel message. But I think the church has a tendency to get messy when we get out there in the forefront of all these political and philosophical hotbed issues and try to address them as the church in a way that doesn't line up with the love of God. And so what I really believe that Paul is saying here, he says, listen, philosophy and politics and stuff have their place as you live in this thing out in godly, in godly living and lifestyle. And you're, you're, you're looking to find ways to, to proliferate the gospel. He says there's nothing that takes place of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and living it out on a daily basis. Nothing. No politics, no philosophy. He said, so just live your life in that way. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. You are like a city that sits on the side of a hill that cannot be hid. You know, have you ever taken the drive out to Girdwood? Uh, going out to Alieska, and it's wintertime, and it's night, and the hill is lit up. You ever done that? You know how that hill just kind of, that, that mountain just 
holds you to it. You can't miss that light. You know, my wife and I were driving out there one time, and, uh, and I'm looking, and, and the light was so compelling. I found myself speeding up, and you know the pastor has a problem with staying with the speed limit anyway. But I found myself speeding up trying to, trying to get to the light, and every time the light was hidden behind, you know, one of the mountain passes, I wanted to get beyond it because there was something compelling about that light that kept pulling me to it. You couldn't ignore it. You couldn't hide it. It pulled you to it. And Jesus says, listen, we don't have to make our light shine. We are who we are. We are the light of the world. We are like a city that sits on the side of a hill that cannot be hidden. So just be who you are and allow the being to affect your doing what he's saying here. Don't force it, just let it shine. The third expression of the four is to mind your own business. Pay attention to what's going on in your own house. You know, coming up, man, there was this song, I don't know if y'all ever heard it, we used to rock to this song. It was, you have six months to mind your own business and six months to leave others alone. I think that covers the entire year, doesn't it? Then it says, see nothing, say nothing, hear nothing, I don't know nothing. Six months to mind my own business and six months to leave yours alone. Let me tell you something. Here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, listen, there's a difference between godly counsel and gossip. There's a difference between godly counsel and gossip. And, and he's saying, listen, make sure that you mind your own business and you don't, you don't drift over from godly counsel into gossip. Okay, let me say this. That's a real good place to say amen, everybody. He says, listen, there's enough going on in your own house for you to pay attention to your own household. And not be busybodies. And tell you something, it was important enough for Paul to address this issue twice. Flip over to, to 2 Thessalonians. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Drop down to to verse 11. Look what Paul says. Same church now, different letter. He says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but what's that next word? Busy bodies. Watch this now. You're just nosy. He's putting your nose in people's business where it doesn't belong. And here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to take busybodiness, which is different from busyness, and, and, and he loves to take that and use that as a way to divide the body of Christ instead of unifying it. And Paul says, listen, he says, he says you be careful of that, man. Pay attention to what's going on in your own house first. Perpetuate the abounding love of God in your home and then allow that to spread from your home into everything that you do. 
pay attention to home. And again, the focus is just maintaining peace and unity in the body of Christ so that the world won't have anything to criticize us for. And then he, the third thing he says, just like the other ones that I've instructed you, this, 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 this fourth thing here I want you to do, I want you to work with your hands as we've instructed you. Now you're still over in 1 Thessalonians chapter, or 2 Thessalonians chapter um, 3. I want you to move on up to verse 6. I'm going to read that for you. Work with your hands. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Everybody say idleness. Lazy. That's what that means, just lazy. And not according to the tradition which you have received from us. What's the tradition, Paul? For you yourself know how, we ought to Im- how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. With toil and labor, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. And it was not because we do not have the right, but to give, uh, but, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Why? For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. I love this command, by the way. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, he should not be eaten. And here's the point. Paul is saying, listen, man, you're, you're wrapped up in a Greek culture that wants to, to use its, its wits and brains for philosophy to, make, to, to gain what they're doing and, to, and let that be the, their vocation. He says, but there are some Jewish customs and traditions of hard work that I want you to continue to to make a part of your life. I believe that God wants all of us to be productive. I believe it's the will of God for all of us to live productive lives, to work as unto the Lord, to give of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our touch to the work of the Lord. And to not be idle. But to work, doing kingdom business. And that's what Paul is saying here to the church. And then he says this. If you do that, you will model what Christ-like living looks like to the world, and that's the out. That's the field that God is sending us to. He says, when, when, we, when we work together in that way, there'll be two outcomes. The first will be that, that we'll be dependent on no one. The church now. That those within the church will have no need church will be totally self-supporting, totally self-sufficient, not having to depend on anyone for anything. 
And when everyone brings their time, their talent, their treasure, their touch to the church and the gifts are operational in the body, there is no need, there is no lack. And God fills the void and we won't have to depend on the world to do it for us. When everyone does that, the church benefits in several ways. First of all, we clearly identify those who are willfully lazy and just want to leech off the church. And what we can do is we can, divide, we can divert those funds from them and put them in a place where the resources can be used to serve those who are really in need. And it'll be easy to spot if we're all working together. Second thing it does is it makes us, it puts us in position where we can serve the needs of others. And here's the thing. The object of the church functioning and flowing is the church not having any need is that we can be an example of what it looks like to serve a God who has everything and, and, and live our lives in a way that's not only pleasing to God, but will provoke the world to envy. How are you able to do what you do? We serve a God that has it all. That's what Paul means in, in this verse where he says, living properly. The second thing that, 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 uh, that the second desired outcome is that we may walk properly before outsiders. That, that the world will see that the God we serve is more than enough. I love this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 9, verse 36. Where the Bible says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, to the Lord of the harvest, that he sends laborers, laborers into the harvest. Why? Because God wants to take us who are becoming more and more like him every day and put us in a situation where we can win the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point. So I was telling you about the other night, and Lee, you can bring your team up. I was telling you about the other night with the guys at the rescue mission, and, and, and before we even started worship, Corey stepped up and did a, a, a little devotional to set the stage for the rest of the day, and he said something like this, we're not here to church you, we're just here to be with you. But for the grace of God, we're sitting in that chair. As a matter of fact, he said, five years ago, I was sitting in that chair right back there. And as he began to, to later on in his, in his message, begin to talk about his life, he pointed to that same spot. And, and, and then he looked around, and there were a couple guys in there that knew him. 
And then, and then what happened is as he got away with God and God alone and God in his quiet time, the Lord spoke to him and showed him a, an image of a person's face. And the guy happened to be there that night as he was ministering. The Lord gave him a word. And then what happened is we're, we're sitting there after the whole thing is over and people are at the altar and tears streaming down several of the ladies' faces and, and another guy that just wants more information and the other guys are out there with the other people in the rescue mission just, just ministering and exchanging numbers, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we're watching breakthrough in a field that is ripe just needs laborers. I said, man, God must be pleased with this. It's great to have an up relationship with God and be strong and powerful in our relationship with him. That's an expression of abounding love. It's, it's great to have a, an in relationship with those in our inner circle, in our circles of influence, and, and those who are brothers walking like comrades in arms with us and sisters around us in a church family. That's good, too. I love being here on the weekends, worshiping with you as a family. But if our expression of the abounding love of Jesus Christ is confined within these four walls and we have missed the point of the gospel, And so what I hear God saying is the equilateral side of the triangle must contain all three dimensions equally. The up, the in, and the out. And I believe that God is calling us to express his abounding love to the communities that he sent us to. And he is poised to empower us to do just that. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear several great opportunities that we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the demonstration of the body of Christ, to show what life in Christ actually looks like in pockets and as a church family. And I'm asking you, because you know my heart, step into it. Step into it and watch what God will do when we become the expression of his abounding love. Father, I want to thank you that you call us into covenant relationship, high invitation, but you also challenge us to kingdom responsibility, high challenge. And I pray that as we think of your soon coming, because you are coming, that as we look across the landscape of the fields that you plant us in, we will see the harvest. The field is ripe. The harvest is plentiful. And may every one of us say like the prophet of old, when you ask who will go, who will I send? May we all say, Lord, here I am. Send me, I'll go. I'll be the expression of your Amen.